Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris. So we're going to talk a little bit about the three-fifths compromise today. Um, it's gotten a little bit of attention. Uh, now it's, I guess, a few weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago. Um, there's been some debates in various states about the teaching of critical race theory. And in Tennessee, one of the representatives, uh, Jim Lafferty, uh, made a speech that was trending on Twitter and then it got into the mainstream news. He was criticized for this. He's a Republican for um, basically saying that the three-fifths compromise was a strategy by which to end slavery. And so because that was the strategy was to try to uh, somehow uh, reduce the number of slaves. Um, and, and you'll hear this from other conservatives too. And I'll just kind of give you the the spiel. It's kind of... I, maybe it's older than I realize, but I've only heard this maybe in the last few years, that uh, the three-fifths compromise was an effort by people in the North, representatives in the North, uh, to diminish the um, representation in the South. And if they could do that, then it opened the door for them to be able to uh, end slavery eventually. And so there's this kind of, it's kind of the way that they view the founding documents, like the Declaration of Independence uh, and the Constitution, really, is that these are, these are documents that their purpose was to somehow overturn the views of those who actually were the authors of them, that they were going to uh, become um, kind of like these egalitarian engines for social change. And then, you know, Lincoln was the first one to really pick up that baton and enact what the founders really wanted. And as we go through history, we just keep getting better and better. You know, women get the right to vote. And uh, I don't know, you could probably put so many issues into this category in you know, child labor laws, education, uh, uh, federal funded compulsory education. Maybe you could even put some of the uh, LGBTQ stuff. And I don't really know to what extent you could use this, but that's it. The, the version I hear most often is that the Constitution, the Declaration, um, the Declaration especially, are these these sort of egalitarian manifestos that uh, weren't realized when the founding fathers were around, but they they put the ball in motion to realize some of these things. And that's kind of how modern day Republican strategists and conservative uh, academics, quote unquote conservative, neoconservative, I don't know what word you want to use, they try to kind of argue the founding fathers uh, into um, fr from being on the ropes to being heroes of, of the revolution, etc. So Justin Lafferty, I think, um, exhibits some of this a little bit in his speech. So, and I want to talk about it because the left, the hard left gets this wrong. <laughs> but now we're seeing a response from Republican strategists that just, it, we're falling into a trap if we, as conservatives, buy this line. Because it's just not true. The three-fifths compromise um, was was legitimately a compromise between two regions of the country um, for purposes of representation. And there really weren't a whole lot of high and noble moral um, disputes going on. I mean, yet yeah, as moral morality play into it, sure. But the morality was more focused on representation, not uh, whether or not we can end slavery in the future. And I'll show you some quotes that maybe you could maybe try to read into. But I, but really, our main source on all of this is James Madison's notes from the Constitutional Convention. So I've pulled out some of the quotes from his notes, and it's free online. It's easily easy to find this stuff. Um, not hard. Spent spent an hour, you know, one afternoon just looking up. Okay, three fifths compromise. 
uh, look it up in Madison's notes and you'll find some things that are interesting. But I did some of that for you, so I'll, I'll present what I have here. Um, let's go through what happened first, though. Uh, this particular individual, um, Justin Lafferty, uh, small business owner, I guess, uh, Methodist, went to Farragut High School. I don't know why I'm telling you all this. It's just I put it up there for his phone numbers. All, all his stuff is there on the Tennessee General General Assembly webpage and his district, uh, which is right outside of Knoxville, actually. Uh, so it's maybe it even encapsulates. I'm not sure. Parts of Knoxville, but it's kind of uh, to the west of Knoxville. And, um, and so, you know, he's in the South, obviously, and uh, they're debating uh, critical race theory. And um, this is how the New York Times portrayed him in one of the things he said. They said, in the Tennessee legislature on Tuesday, a state lawmaker defended the three-fifths compromise, arguing that it had helped clear the way to ending slavery. Remarks that were rebuked by critics, including black colleagues, as insulting and demeaning. Now, I, insulting, demeaning, probably just kind of ignorant is, is what these are. And it's the result of... The narrative, like I said, there's a narrative out there that is just not good. It's let, let me just briefly say what I would, in response to the narrative, what I'd say. You say, look, the founding fathers had views on civilization, culture, race, um, whatever what you want to put into that blank. They had views on certain things that we don't have today. In fact, they were probably more open to arranged marriages and um, I mean, they just freshly came from, you know, a region that believed in the divine right of kings that wasn't off the table. Some wanted uh, before the convention, uh, Washington to be a king. I mean, they had archaic views. And yet the, we are indebted to them for the stand and the sacrifice that they made. Uh, we stand on their shoulders. Uh, there's many true and beautiful and good things about them we want to emulate today. The, the, the character that many of them had, we want to have that character in the children growing up today. And that's the way to defend the founding fathers. And look at the great things that they produced in their documents. Uh, and you can t talk about those. Um, if you try to say, if, if you make the measure of all things, whether or not someone believes in racial equality, right, which is what the left now wants to do in a way, of course, they're they're kind of inconsistent on it because they'll make uh, the, you know the things that don't fit their agenda. They'll kind of leave out, like how trade unions were very racist um, by their own definitions. Um, how you know they'll leave out some of their Democratic Party, um, like Lyndon Johnson uh, heroes, uh, who said some very offensive things. They they'll leave that out. That we don't talk about that. So they they're inconsistent, but. But in theory, let's say they were principled. They want to make the standard whether or not someone believes in racial equality. If they don't, off to the chopping block. They, their legacy doesn't matter. We take down their statues. We destroy their, we can't be influenced by their works, etc. Now, of course, if you, you know, go by this logic, we got to get rid of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence and many other things. <laughs> so conservatives rightly don't want to get rid of those things. Those, that's the stability of our society. Also, there's a lot of really great ideas in those things, uh, such as, you know, the separation of powers, federalism, um, the three co-equal branches, uh, etc. So what happens is conservatives, unfortunately, and I, and I hesitate to even use the word conservative. I don't know what to call them, but the neoconservatives today, they will buy into that. They'll say, yeah, of course, you know, racial, uh, racial equality is so important that if, if someone does not adhere to that, to the version that we have, which is updated every five seconds, if someone doesn't adhere to it, then yeah, they should be canceled. But here's the thing, they'll say, because the founders made these great documents, which eventually led 
to the overturning of slavery, segregation, um, etc., then they're the good guys in this story. Even though they didn't personally hold those beliefs, they allowed for a system or they they kind of like almost like covertly put into motion the overturning of their own beliefs. I just think that's, you're just setting yourself up for failure when you do that. The left can come by and say, okay, well, you agree with our standard. These people don't meet the standard. I don't see what the problem is. Just cancel them. Why don't we just come up with a new constitution? I mean, uh, we don't really, do we want these evil slaveholders and uh, people at the, at the very least who didn't believe in racial equality, civilizational equality to be, um, you know, the ones that are governing us even today through their document. I mean, you're setting yourself up. That's my only point. Focus on the things that are true and valuable about them, the things that we actually have honored them for. And, and, and I think you'll be fine, but that's, we've, <laughs> we made a bad deal. And I think, uh, unfortunately, I think a very well-meaning person, Justin Lafferty, he seems well-meaning. I think he wants to do the right thing. His heart is, he wants to defend his country. But the means he's using to defend it will actually propel its uh, downfall even further uh, and more than I think he realizes. And that's, and I think it's probably just ignorance. And, it, and that's okay. He, you know, maybe he heard a talk by, I'm thinking of names, but I know if I mention a name, I'm going to get... Um, I'm gonna have to do a whole episode on them and people in the, the notes are gonna wonder why I mentioned this particular name because they're popular. But, you know, maybe he listened to some conservative talk show host or quote unquote historian who promotes the narrative I just explained. And, uh, and that's where he got it. I don't know. But here is what he had to say. I'm gonna play it for you. The three-fifths compromise was a direct effort to ensure that Southern states never got the population necessary to continue the practice of slavery everywhere else in the country. What does that mean? Appropriation based on population. That's how we pick. Everybody in here knows we've got nine, I hope I'm right, nine state representatives. By limiting the number of population in the count, they specifically limited the number of representatives that would be available in the slaveholding states and they did it for the purpose of ending slavery well before Abraham Lincoln well before a civil war. Do we talk about that? I don't hear that anywhere in this conversation across the country. I don't know how we've gotten here. I don't know what we do about it, but talking about changing our history, changing's not the right word. Talking about incorporating another view of history while ignoring the very writings that we have access to is no way to go about it. The three and, and I will say, I'm getting hungry watching this as he's got next to him his Chick-fil-A bags just open there. I don't know if they just had lunch or they're having lunch, but uh, anyway, uh, distraction. Um, so he, the reason he doesn't hear people talking about that is because it's not true, unfortunately, what he said. And the thing is, I admire the guy in a way. I think he's trying to stem the tide. He wants to, you know, he knows our history is being changed. He's right about that. His instincts are correct. He knows they're gunning for the founding fathers. He wants to defend that. But at the same time, um, putting motivations into the minds of the founding fathers that weren't there doesn't help because then the leftists can come back and say, okay, you've bought into our standard and uh, now uh, we're going to show you that you're wrong. You know, there is, there, there is nothing in the Madison's notes or you know, outward indications that the founding fathers thought of the three-fifths compromise as a way to end slavery. So that's, that's what he's setting himself up for here. And I see this done all the time by conservatives, unfortunately. 
And it's just, it's just not a good strategy. Here's what happened on CNN. A Tennessee Republican state representative is facing backlash after defending what is widely viewed as one of the most infamous deals in U.S. history, the three-fifths compromise, wherein slaves were explicitly, explicitly counted as three-fifths of a free person, a three-fifths of a man, so that the slave states would be able to accrue more political power without having to count a slave as a full person. Infamous. Racist. Take a look now. This is State Representative Justin Lafferty. This is what he had to say about it. We ended up biting a bitter, bitter pill that haunts us today. And we did it to lay the foundation for all of this that we enjoy in this country. For as much as we scream and fight and argue, there is no place in this world that I'd rather live and call home. The three-fifths compromise was a direct effort to ensure that southern states never got the population necessary to continue the practice of slavery everywhere else in the country. By limiting the number of population in the count, they specifically limited the number of representatives that would be available in the slaveholding states, and they did it for the purpose of ending slavery well before Abraham Lincoln, well before Civil War. Do we talk about that? I don't hear that anywhere in this conversation across the country. I don't say anything on this floor today with any malice toward any of my friends on the other side. I say this only because I'm tired, y'all. The people of this nation are tired. If you start looking for trouble, if that's all you're bent on, I guarantee you, you're going to find it. Okay. That is what we're dealing with right now. The lawmaker making those statements during a debate over legislation uh, in Tennessee that would limit what schools can teach students about racism and privilege. Our team reached out to him for a statement, but has not heard back. So let's get the facts now. Peniel Joseph is here, a professor of history at the University of Texas. I'm sure <laughs> we need hours to talk about this. Peniel, good evening to you. It's important to know your history here. Can you refresh everyone on the facts of the three-fifths compromise, please? Yeah, Don, the, the compromise is really the fact that uh, Southern colonies actually wanted to count enslaved African-Americans uh, as, as one person uh, each uh, for, for issues of representation. And the compromise was that they would be counted as three-fifths of, of, of a person. Um, and what that did is actually give Southern slave-holding states uh, more uh, proportional representation than their actual citizens who could vote. At the time, obviously, women couldn't vote, uh, but, but men could. Um, so when we think about the three-fifths clause, the three-fifths clause is a compromise uh, to uh, create the United States of America and have the Constitution uh, ratified in 1787. So, All right, I'm going to stop it there. Um, he's right. <laughs> the professor he had on is right now. The professor goes off into a little bit of a you know leftist. I, I don't remember exactly what it was when I watched it, but it, but his he gets more into opinion. But what he's talking about right now is fact. That that is the free fifths compromise. So he corrects Don Lemon, but he also corrects, in a way, Justin Lafferty. They're both of them are off on this point. Uh, one, 
wants to say that this was the founding father's way of trying to end slavery. That was the free fist compromise. Don Lemon starts out with the assumption that, the, you know, Justin Lafferty's just, he's in crazy town because clearly this was a racist thing to uh, count, the, to, to make them out to be three fifths of a person. Like they don't count to be a whole person. And that's just not true either. It wasn't about their worth. It was about representation. So this professor is actually right. Now I want to um, read for you some notes from uh, James Madison, just from, uh, and some of his notes are a little difficult just because he used some shorthand abbreviations and so forth. But, um, but let's go through some of the things that were said by different representatives during the Constitutional Convention about this issue. Um, now, the first one I want to include is just from July 2nd. This is uh, not specifically related to the Three-Fifths Compromise. This is just what was a debate throughout the entire Constitutional Convention. Large states versus small states. Uh, at the time, Kander obliged him to admit that the large states would feel a partiality for their own citizens and give them a preference in appointments that they might also find some common points in their commercial interests. Whenever you hear commercial, by the way, you're t you're, think commercialism. Um, we, we don't use that word a lot today, but we're, we're talking about um, maybe the sort of what preceded the American system, and then um, maybe the word capitalism could be put in there, or state capitalism, today crony capitalism. Oftentimes, commercial interests, when they talk about that, it's, it's people who are involved in commerce who want basically benefits from the government. They want the government to favor their particular industry. Anyways, I'll keep going. And promote treaties favorable to them, meaning the larger states. There is a real distinction between the northern and southern interests. North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia in their rice and indigo had a peculiar interest which might be sacrificed. Okay, this is uh, Madison on Pickney uh, from South Carolina. Pickney was making this argument, just saying, look, there's differences between us, between large states, between small states, between the economic interests of the South and the North. Different industries, different uh, things they're selling, manufactured goods versus uh, agriculture. These are the kinds of things that under th that the Constitutional Convention was striving. They were striving to create um, compromises over. Now here, let's get into the three-fifths compromise. Um, July 9th, uh, this is um, July 9th, 1787, and this is what Madison wrote. My learned colleague, Mr. Wilson, has already mentioned that the present method of voting by states was submitted to originally by Congress under a conviction of its impropriety, inequality, and injustice. This appears in the words of their re resolution. It is of September 6, 1774. The words are resolved that in determining questions in this, um, each colony or province shall have only one vote. The Congress not being possessed of or at present able to procure materials for ascertaining the importance of each colony. On the question of agreeing to Mr. King's and Mr. Wilson's motion, it passed in the affirmative. So in other words, the people, what I just read to you, um, the idea uh, that uh, in determining questions of representation, each colony or province shall have one vote, uh, you had a number of states vote for this. Uh, Massachusetts, Connecticut, um, New York, New Jersey were no, though. They voted against it. Pennsylvania voted for it. Delaware voted no. Maryland, um, I'm not sure that's a no or yes. Uh, Virginia voted for it. North Carolina. So the, the point is here, you have different states voting different ways, and they have to try to figure out a way to get all these states to agree on something. 
It was then moved by Mr. Rutledge, seconded by Mr. Butler, to add the words equitable ratio of representation at the end of the motion just agreed to the words according to the quotas of contribution. That means according to taxes. It means we're going to represent according to how we're taxed. If you're taxed, if someone is being taxed, then they um, should be represented. That's the principle, the underlying principle here, okay? So on the motion of Mr. Wilson, of Pennsylvania, seconded by Mr. Pickney of South Carolina, this was postponed in order to add, after the words equitable ratio of representation, the words following, in proportion to the whole number of white and other free citizens and inhabitants of every equitable, I'm sorry, every age, sex, and condition, including those bound to servitude for a term of years and three-fifths of all other persons not comprehended in the foregoing description, except Indians not paying taxes in each state. This being the rule in the Act of Congress agreed to by 11 states for apportioning quotas of revenue in the states and requiring a census only every five, seven, or I think it's 10 years. So here's the thing. Let me break this down a little. You have um, Representative Mr. Wilson from Pennsylvania. You have Representative Mr. Pickney from South Carolina basically saying, okay, let's postpone this thing. We need to add some language to this because here's the thing. Uh, if the principle we're operating on is if you're taxed, you should be represented. That means that um, every person of every age and sex. Now, could everyone of every age and sex vote? No, they could not. They couldn't. So it made so so it's not that slaves were unique in this. They couldn't vote either. But you're also representing and taxing people of different ages, different sex. You're taxing slaves. They get taxed as well. So because of that, they're saying that they should be represented. Uh, on the state level or in the in the federal government, um, the equitable ratio of representation um, is is proportion to proportion to the whole number of white and other free citizens. Uh, so so this would I'm assuming here uh, apply not just because white and other free citizens. Uh, there are a number of slaveholders uh, that were not um, uh, white; they were black. There were they they did exist. Uh, and, and I've gone through that in another podcast on why slavery was wrong. I talked about that a, a bit. I went through it in my reparations podcast as well. And the inhabitants of every age, sex, and condition. So they're all getting, uh, they're, they're being represented uh, for the purposes of taxation and representation as one person. But those who are in servitude, bound to servitude for um, a term of years, let's see, uh, and, and they would also. But three-fifths of those who are basically slaves, all other persons not comprehended in the foregoing description. So um, slaves and Indians who don't pay taxes would not be, Indians who don't pay taxes wouldn't be included. That's the moral principle. If you pay tax, you get representation. Um, Three-fifths was because, this was proposed because um, they would have known about uh, the North and how the North, many people at least in the North, would not have wanted slaves to be represented. Uh, they would have felt that that was inflating the representation somehow. Now, again, women cannot vote, children cannot vote, yet they are also taxed. So you've got to put yourself in that frame, that frame of mind or else you're not going to get this. This is not about human worth. This is about taxation and representation. Now, here's another uh, section I want to read. This is from July 9th. Uh, Mr. Patterson considered the proposed estimate for the future according to the combined rules of numbers and wealth as too vague. For this reason, New Jersey... Um, was, I can't read the shorthand. I'm not sure what he meant there, but I'm going to continue. He could regard Negroes, slaves, in no light but as property. They are no free agents, 
have no personal liberty, no faculty of acquiring property, but on the contrary are themselves property and like other property entirely at the will of the master. Has a man in Virginia a number of votes in proportion to the number of his slaves? And if Negroes are not represented in the states to which they belong, why should they be represented in the general government? What is the true principle of representation? Is it expedient by which an assembly of certain individuals chosen by the people is substituted in place of the inconvenient meeting of the people themselves. If such a meeting of the people was actually to take place, would the slaves vote? Why they would not? Then why should they be represented? Now again, again, I remind you, women and children would not voted either. Um, I continue. He was also against such an indirect um, encouragement of the slave trade. So here's where you might have Justin Lafferty having it's not, he's wrong, but at least there's something he can try to put a hook in here. You have a representative, Mr. Patterson uh, from New Jersey, I believe. Um, he is, William Patterson is saying that uh, certain, uh, that one of the reasons here, uh, and it's not his main reason, but one of the reasons is, look, this, is, this will encourage the slave trade if you allow them to be represented. So we shouldn't they shouldn't be represented because that, that will encourage states to inflate their numbers of slaves because they'll get more representation that way. Again, it's not this if is there morality playing into this well a lot of people were against the slave trade but they were not for racial equality they still they didn't want uh the same kinds of civil rights for um black people in their states i mean a lot of there were a lot of this was common thought uh with many at the time so is he on an egalitarian crusade here no but the slave trade was pretty most people did not like it at the time it was looked down on if you were a slave trader you were looked down on at the time and that doesn't really matter where you were um, it was, uh, you know, without getting into a whole discussion about it, uh, many considered it to be a necessary evil if they were pro-slave trade. Um, there were some who thought it was good, but by this time, not, they would have not been as vocal. They would have been, there, there was a bit of a shame connected to the, the trade itself. I'm not talking about the institution of slavery. I'm talking about the trade. So this is what he's saying, like, th this could encourage the slave trade. Um, let's keep going here. Um, in their act of relating to the charge, okay, um, talks about how the Articles of Confederation, they were ashamed to use the term slave. Mr. Madison, though, reminded Mr. Patterson that his doctrine of representation, which was in its principle the genuine one, must forever silence the pretensions of small states to an equality of votes with the large ones. They ought to vote in the same proportion in which their citizens would do. If the people of all the states were collectively met, he suggested as a proper guide for compromise that in the first branch, the states should be represented according to their number of free inhabitants, and in the second, which had for one of its primary objects, the guardianship of property according to the whole number, including slaves. Mr. Butler urged warmly the justice and necessity of regarding wealth in the apportionment of representation. Mr. King had always expected that as the southern states are the richest, they would not league themselves with the north unless some respect were played to their superior wealth. If the latter expect those preferential distinctions in commerce and other advantages which they will de derive from the connections, they must not expect to receive them without allowing some advantages in return. Eleven out of 13 of the states had agreed to consider slaves in the apportionment of taxation. And taxation and representation ought to go together. Here you're finding the crux of the issue. It's taxation, it's representation, it's small states, it's large states, it's the commercial interests of one region versus the commercial interests of another region. The, these, this is the, if you wanna talk about the morality of this, this was the morality, this was the debate, this was primarily what was being talked about. Um, 
it wasn't this, you know, hey, we're going to have the three-fifths compromise to end slavery. You're not finding that here. Neither are you finding, hey, you know, this, we're, they're just worth three-fifths of a person. You're not finding that either. So um, it's for taxation. It's for representation. Here's some more. Uh, Mr. Jerry of Massachusetts thought property not the rule of representation. Why then should the blacks who are property in the South be in the rule of representation more than the cattle and horses of the North? So he's saying basically, look, um, if uh, you know, property should be the rule, that's what I think the principle should be. If it's property uh, that we have, then you know you might as well uh, represent the cattle and horses. Now this is someone from Massachusetts, right? This is supposedly a person who um, is trying to end slave trade and slavery, right, in their modern neoconservative retelling. Um, but here he is comparing slaves with cattle and horses. So is this going to fly? Is this really going to fit the narrative? Not really. And, and neither, the facts just don't fit either narrative we're hearing from both political sides. They just get back to history and stop the politics. Is uh, stop politicizing it. Stop playing identity politics with our ancestors. That that's my, that's my goal. <laughs> Mr. King, from Massachusetts, being much opposed to fixing numbers as the rule of representation was particularly so on the count of the blacks. He thought the admission of them, along with whites at all, would excite great discontents among the states having no slaves. So again, someone from Massachusetts does not want uh, the fixing numbers as the rule of representation uh, for blacks. He doesn't want them represented. You shouldn't admit them to be represented like the whites. They're not the same. Um, then you have July 11th, uh, same, same day. Uh, Mr. Wilson did not well see on what principle the admission of blacks in the proportion of three-fifths could be explained. Are they admitted as citizens? Then why are they not admitted on the equality with white citizens? Are they admitted as property? Then why is not other property admitted into the computation? These were difficulties, however, which he thought must be overruled by the necessity of compromise. He had some apprehensions also from the tendency of the blending of the blacks with the whites to give disgust to the people of Pennsylvania, uh, as had been intimated by his colleagues. So here you're, here you're finding, look, uh, this is not, this doesn't fit the neoconservative um, interpretation of this at all. Um, because what he's saying is that um, he, he opposes the admission of blacks in proportion of three-fifths. There's no principle uh, of these things uh, because, you know, they're, how, how do we classify them? And, and you know, you could have said women and children, right? They're not voting, but they can be classified. But he's saying, look, what, what, what are they actually? And if you classify them, the, 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 what he's trying to say is if you try to then say, okay, they're citizens or they're, uh, you know, they're something other than property, um, then you have, there's apprehensions because you're going to blend the blacks with the whites. You're going to, you're opening the door for racial equality in a way here. And the people of Pennsylvania aren't going to like that. I mean, this does, just it doesn't fly, guys. That's his reason for opposing, one of his reasons. And again, the main thing is taxation. The main thing is these interests. But you're finding things like this where it just does not fit. Um, here's another one. Uh, Mr. Gorham, Massachusetts, right? Supported the propriety of establishing numbers as the rule. He said that in Massachusetts, estimates have been taken in the different towns and the persons have been curious enough to compare these estimates with the respective numbers of people. And it had been found, including even in Boston, 
that the most exact proportion prevailed between numbers and property. He was aware that there might be some weight in what had fallen from his colleague as to the umbrage, which might be taken by the people of the eastern states. Eastern means northeastern. But he recollected uh, that when the proposition of Congress for changing uh, the eighth article of the Confederation was before the legislature of Massachusetts, the only difficulty then was to satisfy them that the Negroes ought not to have been counted equally with whites instead of being counted in ratio of three-fifths only, July 11th, 1787. What he's saying is, like, look, we did it in Massachusetts for the purpose of taxation. For the purpose of taxation, this is how we figured it out in Massachusetts. This isn't what's happening now. This compromise isn't much different than what's already happened. And it happened in Massachusetts. Um, here's another one. But as the compact was to be voluntary, it is in vain for the eastern states to insist on what the south, southern states, will never agree to. It is equally vain for the latter to require what the other states can never admit. And he verily believed the people of Pennsylvania. Um, so this, this is the crux of it. Governor Morris of New York. There's, you have two sides here. One wants greater representation, one wants less representation because of economic interest more than anything else. And that was what the three-fifths compromise was about. It, it, it wasn't this high and lofty moral statement, either to say black people or slaves, in this case. Um, it's not even black people, it's slaves, uh, specifically. It's not saying that slaves are three-fifths of a person. That never happened. Um, on the other side, it's not saying that this is some grand strategy for getting rid of slavery. It wasn't. In fact, uh, I mean, most of the first, the most presidents through the first 80 years of the country's history were from Virginia. Um, most of the Supreme Court justices, I mean, Virginia dominated. And, um, and that's a Southern state. So it's, um, they, they could not have conceived or thought. I mean, New England tried to secede in the Hartford Convention. They, they were toying with the idea. Uh, they weren't, it wasn't, they weren't saying, you know what, remember back to uh, the Constitutional Convention when we, we really fooled those Southerners because we didn't let them count their slaves as one person so we could end slavery later. That never happened, guys. It didn't happen. It's a myth. Both sides are a myth, and not a myth in the way of, you know, in the good way of a myth that societies have for teaching character to children or something like that uh, in the mythos of society. No, a myth in, in the sense that it's just not true. There's, there's literally no truth to it, and it's actually the creation of a new myth um, to try to paint the founders in a certain way. I just say stick to what the history actually says about these. Stick to the record we have. And don't try to fit this three-fifths compromise issue into your political agenda because that dog doesn't hunt. And I would say to someone um, like uh, Justin Lafferty, what he's doing in a sense is buying into also a narrative uh, that's not true that is going to undermine the... Um, his local history, his local, the pride they have in their state of Tennessee, because he's saying, oh, again, the Southern states, now, of course, Tennessee uh, came, came a little later, but um, what he's saying is that, you know, it, the South were the villains, North were the heroes, America was, it's the North, you know, that we're looking to. They're, they're the founders, they're the, and you're shortchanging the Southern contribution here when you do that. And you're, you're doing it not based on truth, but based on a, a figment. And it just, it's not, you want to probably cultivate a local pride, a local history, uh, local knowledge of that. 
And so if I were him, if I, you know, not that I am, and he did this off the cuff, so I mean, I have some respect for him in trying to stem the tide here, but a better way to do it would be just to say, look, uh, critical race theory introduces this idea that racism motivates everything. In fact, when you start to make the three-fifths compromise, this statement about human worth, you're doing that. You're injecting this moral dimension that wasn't part of that compromise. Uh, when you start to say that the Constitution was motivated by uh, ideas that stemmed from uh, slavery because the men, many of the men who were part of it were slaveholders, what you're doing is you're, you're making an inseparable relationship between the labor system these men were engaged in and the document they crafted. And that relationship does not need to be there. Um, it's the ideas in the Constitution are good ideas whether these men uh, had slaves or did not have slaves. It's irrelevant. And so we want to teach history um, accurately, as best as we possibly can, knowing that there are interpretations that are going to come to bear. But we want an interpretation, a paradigm that's going to make sense of all the facts. We don't want paradigms that um, have to leave out Madison's notes <laughs> we, or paradigms that um, you know, ignore certain things in history to make a political agenda feasible. Critical race theory is postmodern. It gets into memory studies and uses standpoint epistemology to reinterpret the past in ways that uh, leave out things that contradict the narrative. And it does so in a Marxist fashion. That's why we shouldn't do it. It's going to create further division. And that's, that's what you can say. So hope that was helpful for those who maybe didn't know a lot about the three-fifths compromise. I'd encourage you, hey, don't believe me because I said it. Go do the homework. Go to uh, Madison's notes. You can find them online in PDF format pretty easily. And just you know, type in three-fifths. Uh, start reading them, and, and you'll find out what it was really about. So hope that was helpful. God bless. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.